Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. He could call on his God to be delivered. He could ask to be spared. He could ask for the legions of angels to come and render him aid. Maybe one more miracle would rally everybody to his side. But Jesus did none of those things. He set aside his heavenly attributes, the questions about his divinity and identity. This is what Jesus did. He became a servant for you and for me. This lone, deserted, vulnerable man decided, I know what I must do. I will not fight. I will not run. I will not deal. I will not dazzle. I will die. And he prayed a prayer that all of his followers have to pray at various times in our lives, you, you and me. Not my will, but yours be done. As a simple historical reality, it was sin, human darkness, in every person involved that put Jesus on the cross. But he believed that through love, the cross could somehow become not just a symbol of justice, Sin, death, but a symbol of redemptive, powerful love in action. Out of his remarkable brilliance, breathtaking courage, and inexplicable love, Jesus sized up the situation that defeated every human attempt to be right, to be righteous, to be correct. He identified exactly what would be needed to bring redemption. It would cost him his life. And there's nothing you and I can do to add to that. 2,000 plus years later, his death is the most important, most remembered death in the history of the world. Jesus outlasted, outmaneuvered, outthought every group, every power. But not just that, mostly he just outloved everybody. For Jesus in the garden had one agenda that superseded the agenda's of all others, and it was love. On Friday, Jesus died for love. He said it was his choice. It wasn't Pilate's choice. It wasn't Herod's choice. It wasn't Caesar's choice. It wasn't the chief priest's choice. It wasn't even the choice of the crowds who yelled out, crucify him. He said it himself. I lay my life down for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and, good news, authority to take it up again. The cross was changed from a symbol of a human empire's power into a symbol of the suffering love of God. It was changed from an expression of ultimate threat into an expression of ultimate hope. It came in a sense to express the exact opposite of its original purpose. The Lord turned it upside down. He changed what the cross meant. Now it means our forgiveness. Now it means his love and his grace. Jesus chose it to die on it. And after Friday, neither the cross nor the world could stay the same. Many of you here today or watching online believe what I just read. It's your faith in the cross It's your faith in Jesus Christ that has set you free. But some people have resistance. They just don't get it yet. 
Now, some of you, let's just say this, you're, you're good at math. Anybody really good at math? Math is, you're good at math. All four of you, God bless you. In the Latin, math is pronounced this way, calculator. And I'm good with the calculator. I know how to figure things out mathematically with the calculator. Not the brain, but the calculator. Some of you are athletes. You were two months old. You were catching a ball. You know who you are. And when you were three, you were running faster than people twice your age. You're just athletic. That's you. You're just good at it. Motor skills, fine motor skills, you got it down. Some of you have a technical brain. You can feel for a bolt and go, hmm, 916. You just feel for it. Five-eighths, metric, American. I mean, you, you're just good at that. Now, some of you may not be able to, to, to do really well in English, but, oh, man, you could build an engine from, well, a tin can and duct tape. You're that good. You're MacGyver personified, you know, if you remember old MacGyver. Some of you are really good with, well, like my granddaughter with cartwheels. I could never do a cartwheel, even in the prime of my cross-country and track days. I got the hands down, I got the head down, but my legs always seemed to do something. They would never go up like that. It's kind of like in first service, I asked, how many of you are swimmers like me? You got all this down pretty good. You could even do a pretty good butterfly, but your legs sink. Anybody, any sinking leg swimmers here? Come on. Okay, four of you, five of you liars. We'll all go to the pool afterwards and see, do a couple laps. Just watch those little feet go on top of the water. Mine always sank. You know, I took lessons when I was a little kid. Bubble, bubble, breathe. She had us hold on the little floaty board, and my legs sank. She said, Bernie, your legs keep sinking. I know. You're telling me the obvious. Some of you are people of faith. You just get it. Faith is easy for you. You've had faith all your life. You just say, Jesus died on a cross. I have faith. It's over with. But when we look from the abstract at the cross, it's almost like, really? That God would leave heaven where everything's perfect and pure and sinless and he would be born of a virgin? <laughs> I went to health class. I know where babies come from. But wait a minute. Let me, let me defy logic and, and, and science and reason just for a moment. And let me believe in a God who became flesh and would die on a cross, the most powerful person on the planet, would become the weakest person on the planet. The most powerful person on the planet would be driven by love itself. It's 1 Peter 3.18. And Peter summarizes this for us. Would you read it with me with your best 951 voice? Here we go. For indeed, Christ died for sins once for all. The just and the righteous, for the unjust and the unrighteous, sorry, the innocent for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For indeed, Christ died for sins once and for all, and people are still trying to climb up the stairs of works. 
to achieve some kind of audience with God. People are still trying to be good, 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 good people. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we'll never be good enough. And so I'd like to take some time this morning to, to read a lot of Scripture and to look at something written 740 years before Jesus came to the planet. God really wanted his children, the people of Israel, to get the Messiah, to understand who he would be and, and what he would do. And so if you have a Bible, you can go to Isaiah 53. I'm going to be reading from the message, so it's going to be a little different than yours. All the words will be up here, and uh, wonderful Tyler up there will follow me the best she can. I got a lot of scriptures, and that's a lot of work. Thank you for helping me this morning. And Isaiah 53, Isaiah is the big dog. He's the prophet of prophets. Uh, God didn't pick Malachi or Amos, even Elijah. He picks Isaiah. This is the most reputable prophet possible. He is the best of the best. And God says, I'm going to speak to you, Isaiah, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to write down stuff and prophesy stuff that's 740 years Beyond you, you have no full concept of what I'm about to tell you, but I want you to get this down because I don't want anybody to miss this. And so Isaiah 53, again, the Message Bible, verse 1 says, Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a, a scrubby plant in a parched field. And there was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. But the fact is, it is our pains that he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. And he took the punishment, and that made us whole. And through his bruises, we get healed. Because we're all like sheep. We wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't even say a word, like a lamb taken to be slaughtered. And like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was let off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, and even though he'd never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true, still it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he gave himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. And out of that terrible travail, the travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. And through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. 
as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest of honors, because he looked death in the face and he didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his shoulders the sin of the many, and he took up the cause of all the black sheep. Yeah. God wanted humanity to know the story. The people of Israel would, would come and many would miss him. Of course, Paul the Apostle says, to those who believed, he gave them the power to become the sons and daughters of God. But many would miss him. Like today, many will miss him. This week, Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter eggs, bunnies, chocolate. More than more than Continental Buffet at church. Oh, I've thought about this for four months. What will happen? Who will come? Who will you invite? Who, who, who will come? Who will come Saturday night because they have traditions on Sunday? I spoke to a lady uh, at the Every 15 Minutes program. I was, again, involved uh, my 16th year, and, and we were up at Cabrillo, and, and this lady was there, and we were all caught up in the the fake crash and all the things we do, and I just was bold. I figured I'm asking you. I might as well ask her, right? What are you doing for Easter, I said. <clears throat> what are you doing for Easter? Oh, we have traditions on Easter. We do. Everybody comes to the house. We have eggs and ham, and oh, it's so great. The kids come and do eggs and Easter eggs, and it's great, and we make mimosas. I don't really know what mimosa is. Do you guys know what that is? Anybody know? Yes. Oh, it's what? Orange juice and champagne? Okay, great. Uh, see her afterwards. She knows about all alcoholic <laughs> beverages. <laughs> Good golly, Dolly. You know all about that. It's, it's, yeah, it's orange juice and champagne. And so, isn't, isn't that great? And she said, this is what we do. This is our tradition. And I said, well, what do you do on Saturday night? She says, oh, we get ready for Sunday. I said, no, you should come to church. We're having Saturday night Easter. Oh, you can't do that, she said. Easter's on Sunday. <laughs> well, why do you care? You're not going to church. Why do you care? Come Saturday night, I said. I said she said, why do you have Saturday night service? I said, well, we have a lot of people that come to church. You do? I said, yes, we have a lot of people that come. People that we only see at Christmas and Easter. And she said, well, you won't see me because we have mimosas to make. Now we know what it is. We got to get the champagne ready. Come on. And, uh, and, and so she's going on and on. And I said, no, no, no. No, we, we have church on Saturday night to help people like you that have stuff on Sunday. You should come. See, I was working it. I, I, you know, and she's just like looking at me. Like, why would anybody go to church on Saturday night? She's trying to say. Uh, because they have stuff on Sunday. Well, why don't people go on Sunday? Because they have stuff. I thought, okay. Now I'm caught in this vortex of illogical reasoning. <laughs> and I thought about her as I walked away from the conversation. She's like lots of people. Some people just don't get it. They, they, they get math. They get science. Some people just get faith. And some people just get religion. We're going to church for Easter. I will see people that I haven't seen in a year. They'll be here. And they'll be the first in line, I promise. 
getting our eggs and our sausage and all that. Hey, why don't you cut them off this year? You'd you be ahead of them. Because you're coming back the following week, you know. I have a friend every year. You know what they do? They have a big old barbecue the Sunday after Easter. He tells them, come back next week, free barbecue. Huh? That's really cool. I go, what do you guys do on Easter? Nothing. We just preach Jesus, three songs, preach Jesus, everybody goes home. We try to get them the next week. They said, well, no, no, we got we to ratchet it up for our, our people that we only see twice a year. Come on. Come on. You want us to make a good impression on them, so bring them. We'll take care of them. What does that have to do with the sermon? Nothing. <laughs> Except everything. He thinks that Easter's all about brunch, eggs, and mimosas. It's really not. That's how they're celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Christ. By the way, if you have mimosas on Easter, I, I, go enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out. Just don't drive. Isaiah 53, 1 says, Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who should have thought God's saving power would look like this? That's why so many missed him. They wanted the saving power of Jesus from Roman oppression. They wanted their economy turned around. Hey, write this down, would you? Because God wants them to know and us to know the backstory. Number one, God's plan was different from the Jesus people wanted. So God knew we would miss Jesus when he came. That's why he says to the prophet Isaiah 740 years before, people are going to miss him because he doesn't look anything like the one they want to rescue him. How many times have we gone other places than Jesus for the things we need? How many times have we gone other places than God and his Holy Spirit for the for the hole in our soul or the love that we need. Isaiah 53, 2-6 again says, The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. Let me just say it a little more for us. Because not all of us are into agriculture a lot. Some of us are, some of us aren't. Jesus grew up like a little weed in an asphalt parking lot. Insignificant. No one thought that he was going to be very much or that he would be the answer. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down upon and he was passed over. See, write this down, would you? We keep trying to make Jesus the Savior we want. The Savior that we want. He doesn't look like what we want. He, he's not very attractive to our flesh or our ego or our pride. But I'll tell you what, he's very attractive to what your soul needs. He's the answer for the human condition. He's the answer for our sin problem. The very things that Jesus had were not the things that we wanted Jesus to have. And when I say we, I'm talking about humanity. He didn't have what we wanted him to have. We wanted him to look like something out of a Transformer movie or Star Wars rescue scene. Something with fire in his eyes. Just come and wipe out all the, the hardships of the world. Get rid of the famine. Get rid of hatred and bitterness. Come and turn our economy around. But what he gave us was a cross. A cross. If God is only going to give you one thing, what would you ask him for? And Don't give him the church answer. What would you ask him for? I want health, God. I want you to make my husband or my wife a believer, God. 
want you to make my husband or wife nice to me, God. I'd like some fame, God. I want to do something epic. There's that word, epic, with my life. I want my kids to be successful. I, I want peace in our world. I want the end of famine. I just want to have a bunch of money so I can retire now, regardless of my age. Lakefront property in Florida. As an old man said to me recently at the convalescent center, who's visiting his wife, we had a chat. And I said, sir, if you could ask God for one thing, besides the healing of your wife, what would it be? And he said, I, I want to get old. And when my day comes, I want to just die in my sleep. I said, okay. I don't want to ever come here. Convalescent Center. He goes, I want to get old apart from dementia and Alzheimer's. I want to get old apart from having to have in-home care. I, I want to just get old and just at ripe old age, just in my sleep, die. Well, that was a good, good request, don't you think so? But how many people would say, God, if there's one thing, just one thing, now think about it, all the way back to Jesus and the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. If there's one thing, God, you can do, give us a cross. Just die on the cross, give us the cross, oh, the, the wonderful cross, that's all we want, that's all we want, that's all we want you to do for us, just forgive us our sins and give us eternal life. I doubt that many North Americans would have that as their first prayer. But my friend, the lady that I just met, she's concerned about the ham and the mimosas. I doubt she would say, oh God, on Easter Sunday, may everybody gather and have a nice buffet together and stop long enough to rejoice that you died for us, that you rose again from the dead. The most important thing, and by the way, I love being with family and friends. I'm not discounting that. But the most wonderful thing as we rise up today is that you died for us and you gave us your life. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, but the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements. And how many people looked at him while he was dying on the cross and saying, look, look at his disfigurement. Look, he's been beaten within inches of death. He carries his own crossbar all the way up the hill. But it was our disfigurements that made him disfigured. It was all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for our failures, but it was our sins. So yesterday, I'm taking a walk early in the morning. I just out walking a little bit, and, and I thought, okay, God, it's just you and me. There's not a soul around. I found this little trail. I started walking on it. Saw a couple of bunny rabbits. Woo, look at that. Peter Cottontail, there he goes. He's getting ready for next week. And I'm out in the middle of a trail, and I'm just walking, and I'm just saying, God, thank you for Jesus. And I'm, I'm this loud, Jesus, Jesus, thank you for the cross, the cross that, that exposes my sin. Don't, don't let me live in the facade I create, because I've said this to you many times, God cannot heal the fake you. He can only heal the real you. 
Because the real you will confess the reality of who you are. And Jesus, let your light shine on my darkness. I'm, 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 I'm getting into it. I'm, I'm having a moment. And up comes a jogger. <laughs> this is about to say, Jesus, let your light shine. Whew, he started sprinting. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was going now. Some crazy guy's talking to Jesus out here, you know. I said, have a good day. He didn't even look back. Faster than the bunny rabbits. Hey, when was the last time you let the cross be the perfect mirror of your human condition? See, the cross is that perfect mirror. We look into it and we see ourselves. If we really look long enough, we look into it and we see why Jesus had to die for us. It's not just a historical event. It's an eternity-shaping event. It's a daily-shaping event. The Good Friday is an opportunity for us to be honest about us. And sure, we'll have a service at 6.30. If you're available, we'd love to have you with us. It's, but it's more than a service. It's an opportunity, again, for us to be honest about us. Someone else at the every 15 minutes said, um, I have a question to ask you. Are you sure and certain that Jesus died on Good Friday? Could it have been a Thursday? <laughs> Is it really April 21? I mean, I said, probably we got the wrong day. Like Christmas, we got the wrong month. But it doesn't matter. Because for us, it's more than a day. And for us, it's more than a, a calendar event. For us, it's, it's a daily event. You know, I'm preaching it's, it's a daily event. We recognize without the cross, we, we're sinners without a Savior. We have a Savior in Jesus, and the cross is His perfect mirror of our human condition. I dare you to just spend some time alone to reflect, and with your own heart, your own soul, just look into the cross, because there you'll see yourself. Everything about you, every lie you've told, every horrible decision you've made, every person you've hurt, and every person who's hurt you. The cross is a reminder that Jesus took our place and he stood in our space. He took our place. He stood in our space. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid a debt we could not pay. That's why we celebrate Jesus and the cross. Isaiah 53, verse 8, he died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten, bloody for the sins of of my people. God said, this is my love gift to you, Jesus Christ. The second thing is that God's purpose was to tell the story behind the story. And here it is. God is love. God is love. Oh, our world is desperate for love today. There is so much hatred. People taking shots at everybody. Literally and Figuratively, someone's out of line, everybody wants to bring them down. Everybody wants to find a, a flaw in someone else's life. Please remember when you point your finger, there's three pointing back at you. Come on. Please remember Jesus said, hey, stop looking at the speck in someone else's eye when you got a big old beam in your own. You have your own issues. Before we are in the story, before humanity is even in the story, God is at the center of the story, and God is love. When he creates all that he creates to give him glory, he doesn't need us to worship him. 
The universe worships him. But he invites us to that place. He, he created us out of love. Jeremiah 31.3 says these words. Let's read them. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an, I've loved you with an everlasting love. By the way, if you're the insecure person today, here or watching online or in our cafe, you cannot push the love of God away from you. Don't you dare look to heaven with rhetoric that says, but I'm not lovely, I'm not worthy of his love. God says you are. God says you are. And I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with what? Unfailing kindness. When you see the cross of Jesus, see the everlasting love of God. And the only way you could ever be a genuine recipient of love is to have the absolute opportunity to reject it. A few weeks ago, I said that God has not programmed us to love him. It's a choice. Now, he makes the choice to love us eternally. Everlasting kindness. Holy and pure love, without manipulation, without strings attached. He just says, I just love you. He sees intrinsic value in you when you don't see it in yourself. But the only way you could ever be a genuine recipient of love is to have the absolute opportunity to reject it. When, when, when a, a guy gets on his knee or does something really you know, creative to tell a young lady, I want you to marry me, the only reason that the yes means anything is because she has the power to say no. That's why it means something. She said yes. I saw it not too long ago. Somebody posted. She said no. Mm. I always wonder, like, these guys that do it in a restaurant in front of everybody or, like, on a TV show. It'll be so great. I did read a story about one who was on a TV show uh, where the guy proposed to the girl, and she said yes because the cameras were rolling, and after it was over the parking lot, she said, no way, Jose. They didn't film that part. Yeah. The cross cannot be understood apart from love. God wanted to make sure we didn't confuse the cross with anything else. So he comes not impressive. And we saw, humanity saw the kindness of Jesus as weakness. He came to serve. And it proved to us he was not good enough to be our king in our thinking, he was not good enough to be the one who would restore everything to us, but he came. And even while he's dying, he's told, if you are really who you say you are, get off the cross. He said, I, I'm not going to get off the cross. This is why I came. I came to die the most gruesome of all deaths. Jesus coming to earth is the greatest gift and the purest expression of love there is. I was at the farm supply store. I like to go there. I'm not a farmer. I'm not an ag guy. But I like looking at little chicks under the warming lamp. Beep, 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 beep. Little chicks. I said to the Lord, if there's any way you could keep them this size, I would buy them. <laughs> but pretty soon they're going to grow and they're going to everywhere. They're even going to eat there everywhere. They do. Yeah. Beep, 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 beep. And this little kid, probably about six. Mommy, no. <laughs> it was so great. Mommy, no. 
And his sister said, but mommy, you ready for this? If you love me, I do love you. That's why we're saying no. Dad said, you know what they do with these chickens, don't you? When they outlive their usefulness, they put them on a rotisserie. <laughs> the little boy starts crying. Come on. <laughs> God, this is what I'd rather have. He says, no. Jesus, we'd rather have you restore our economy. He said, no. Can you overthrow the Roman government, Lord? They're oppressing us. He said, no. How about fame and fortune? How about doing something epic with my life? Really? That's what you want? You know what we should say? God, give me more of Jesus. Help me to fall more in love with him. Help me to take a walk, to put my arms out, and just say, God, if there's any darkness inside of me, search my heart, Psalm 51, see if there's any offensive way in me, God. You might feel goofy at first. That's what we should do this week. Passion week, holy week. You see, I am the only one that can keep myself from embracing God's love. It's not anybody else. I can't blame it on the church. I can't blame it on the government. It's up to me. It's up to you to not stand back, but to embrace the love of God that he's given to you through Christ Jesus. See, Christ lived the life we could not live and took the punishment we could not take to offer the love and the hope we cannot resist. By the way, if you have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, Email, text, get this statement and share it everywhere. And you could say, I said it. And after you say it the second time, you could say, you said it. And after the third time, you could say, you always say it. It's yours. Christ lived the life we could not live and took the punishment we could not take to offer the love and hope we cannot resist. Send that to your mimosa friends. Come on. Christ lived a life we could not live. Are you, is that right? And he took the punishment we could not take to offer the love and hope we cannot resist. The number one thing that we stand for as a church is to make sure that people know they matter to God. The number one thing we stand for is to make sure that people come and give their life to Christ. And next week, I'm going to ask. You can be praying for me at a time. I'm going to ask people, hey, listen. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask him. You've got a week to pump up the prayers and say, God, could that be the week where many people come to know who Christ is, to say yes to him? John 1.10, I'll read this scripture and just share a story and, and we'll leave. John 1, verse 10 and 11, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not what? Recognize him. Hey, this is Isaiah's prophecy 740 years before coming to pass because John said the world didn't recognize him. He was like a weed in the parking lot. People missed him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to his people Israel. He, he came to the human race in human form. And humans still to this day do not Received him. How did 
Christ endure treatment like that? Any point he could have said, I quit, I've had enough. Why didn't he just give up? Well, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. It's Lee Alpi, I-E-L-P-I. And some of you may remember, you're old enough to remember, September 11, 2001. Lee was a 26-year firefighter with New York City Fire Department. And on September 11th, he gave more than just his service. He gave his son, Jonathan, to the Twin Towers. As people were running out, his son, Jonathan, ran in. And Jonathan lost his life trying to save others. And every day, maybe you don't know this, but firefighters are a very loyal clan. I know a lot of them. and My son happens to be one. They're loyal. And every day there were firefighters like Lee who dug through the rubble looking for fallen firefighters, fallen policemen, fallen individuals who had just given everything that day. 16 acres was the graveyard. And three months later, his son was found. And they called to Lee and said, Lee, come and carry your boy out. That's the way it was. If there was any fire crew who happened to be a part of the crew of the fallen, they called to them and let their own crew or their fathers or brothers or sisters in some cases carry out the fallen. And Lee was there to carry out his boy. He worked for a total of nine months every single day, long hours, working through the wreckage to find other people. He didn't give up. The father didn't quit. And I thought about it when I read the story. Why did he not quit? Because his love for his son was greater than the pain of the search. The love of God today is greater than the pain of the cross for you and for me. His love endures all things. That's why he endured the resistance from humanity. Love endures. I don't want to like spiritualize and say our world has collapsed <laughs> like the towers. Our world has caved in like a deep sinkhole. But what God did is he came down to rescue us through Jesus Christ. It may be an old story, but it's the best story to tell. It may be an old story, but it's the story that is alive today because Christ is alive. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had not sinned to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.